Welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect Podcast. Today, joining me all the way from the US is Kelly Packard. We've got another guest appearance in, so uh, we'll be joining her shortly. So Kelly Packard is an American actress and television personality who has appeared on American screens on hit shows like Blossom, The Wonder Years, Boy Meets World, Step by Step and Living Dolls. Now being a first series regular role at the age of 16 on NBC's Saturday morning teen comedy, Saved by the Bell. She then became a household name co-hosting Ripley's Believe It or Not and as April on Baywatch, which has seen in over 144 countries and translated into 15 languages at the height of its fame and was reportedly watched by over a billion people worldwide. Joining Kelly today is her husband, Darren, within the medical profession as an emergency medicine physician. So firstly, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. I want to say thank you to you both because upon reaching out to you, Kelly, we spoke on a subject that's close to every parent's heart, and that's obviously teen suicide and what everyone's going through at the moment. So I just want to say as a caution, trigger warning, some people might find parts of the content confronting or distressing, but... In December 2019, the outbreak of the coronavirus spread across the world. Within a short time, within the whole World, world Health Organization declaring a pandemic, what's it been like in the US as, as firstly parents and then Darren? What have the numbers and cases been like in terms of our youth? So I, my um, viewpoint of all of this comes from just like you said, being a mom and being from the beginning when this all came down I always look to him when there's medical things I reach from knowing him so long and at the very beginning that my heart immediately we're talking March of 2020 went out to the demographics of my kids' elementary school which is 72% Hispanic and I just knew that those kids didn't have the luxury that my kids had in terms of having a parent at home having the um access to internet, all the things that my kids had, I knew 72% of our elementary school didn't have that. And it broke my heart. And then I immediately went to, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to these kids, right? So then cut to, it was pretty early on that he started seeing at work the mental health come in of these kids that were at home and locked down and didn't have access and didn't have parents. And it was just, it was all very quickly. And so my... I, my heart just broke for all those kids, and, and it was almost from the beginning. And now it's just exacerbated. Now it's now it's to the point where I'm mad. <laughs> By yourself, Darren, from a from a medical point of view, are we seeing like the the increase in terms of um, our kids suffering not just from COVID, but prior? Has there been a, a major increase, like say, just prior to the pandemic starting? Well, I mean, there's no doubt that mental illness has always been a serious issue, a serious medical issue. Um, and in, in generally, in our patient population here where we live in Los Angeles County, uh, on a typical year, we average between 2 to 3% of our pediatric population from the ages of, you know, 1 to 18 is that pediatric population. But we have seen, uh, on average, 2 to 3% of that pediatric population presented to the emergency room because of some type of mental illness, whether it be anxiety, depression, suicidal ideations, alcohol, drug abuse something that was affecting their overall mental health. On average, it was about 2 to 3%. Uh, in this past year, because of the lockdown, that increased to 13%. And so I think what Kelly was talking about earlier, that was our biggest frustration, that nobody was talking about the crisis. Everybody was so focused on COVID. And when you look at public health, I mean, you have to look at the, 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 the total portion of, of public health. We were just looking at a very small sliver of that. And we forgot, we put blinders up to everything else, and we totally 
um, didn't really focus in on what was going on with our children. And, and of course, with adults, I mean, obviously, there's been a huge population in depression and anxiety. There was a recent report that came out in the U.S. Census Bureau that, that depression and anxiety increased by a third in this past year. And so it's almost like this pandemic has created in and of itself other pandemics that is not getting the attention that it deserves. Within your circles, within your communities, and I, as I say, with, with Los Angeles, like you say, the conversations seemingly aren't being had. How did it affect you? Because I know you mentioned Kelly prior to coming on the show that it did affect your son not being with his friends and homeschooling. So how did it affect and how did you bring up those hard conversations within the home yourself? Yeah, it affected all of our kids in different ways, but I noticed it mostly in my son. And I was like, what's wrong with you? But then I realized that prior to March, when we locked down, he had school, you know, all day and then six days a week of baseball and all of it was taken away at once. And so he was just trying to figure out himself, like, what do I do? What do I do with myself? I went from having a full day every day to nothing. And he, you know, I, I don't think he likes me even saying that he was kind of spiraling in a depression mode, but he was. And he, I could see it as his mom. Um, and so I would do whatever I could to get him perked up, either any deeper, any darker. And again, I'm so grateful that I was home to witness that. We were fine. You know, we've got this great home with 22 animals and room to spread out and they have mom at home. And I just thought my kids were doing okay. But at the end of the day, I, my son was struggling and I was like, why is he struggling? And I realized that everything he had done up until that moment, so five days of school, six days of baseball a week, it was all taken away at the same time. And so he, his identity was kind of wrapped up in that. Not to mention he's a social kid, right? So he just got lost. And I watched him kind of spiraling into a depression, if you will. And I would do whatever I could to pull him out of it, even if it meant buying him a pair of shoes or whatever. And I was just so grateful that in that moment, I was home to witness that and watch that and be on top of it. Because unfortunately, that's not the case for most Americans. They have to work and they, ha they can't be there with their kids 24 seven. So I was grateful for that. If, if Kelly and I, being a physician and her being an actress, and we have resources available for our kids, yet to see them struggle despite uh, everything that we had available for them, whether it be the internet, whether they had a laptop, uh, we even had to hire a tutor to help our two youngest kids with their schooling, and despite all these resources, they still struggled. So it made us think, like, what about these other kids? They don't, they don't have access to Wi-Fi. They don't have a laptop. They don't have both parents in the home, and they have to work to survive what's going on with these kids? And I think that's why we've seen such a huge increase in mental health among our pediatric population, because like Kelly said, um, a lot of their self-identity is wrapped up in their social interactions at school. Some of these kids, their escape from their environment is school, um, whether they have an alcoholic parent who might be abusive. And, and so their way to get away from that is to go to school, and then that was taken away from them. And um, it's just unfortunate that actually it was very disheartening seeing our kids struggle and suffer as much as they did. And they need structure. They need they need a schedule. They need boundaries. Um, and all of that was taken away from them. I suppose in yourself, Darren, you, you've got a profession that's obviously keeping you busy all the time. And Kelly, yourself, has as well. How has the impact of COVID and everything definitely those conversations within the For me, I... I'm so lucky and so aware that I have never 
really struggled at all with mental health issues. Even with my pregnancies and my births, I never had postpartum. I had the opposite. I had elation. Um, so I don't take that for granted, that I just personally don't struggle. And that's why when you first reached out to me, I just didn't feel like I had anything to offer um, because I am so blessed that I don't really struggle. Having said that, I've been around people that do struggle and I, we have family and we have friends and he deals with it on a daily basis. And so the conversations we've chosen to make it very talked about in our home it's we I, I let Dallin know that I, I think you're depressed son and I think we have to talk about this you know I wasn't afraid to dance around it and 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 I think that's key I think you have to have communication he's very lucky because he can come home and say I had a nine-year-old today that wanted to kill herself right and that's a lot but for our eight and 11 year old they're like Okay, but at least the conversation's there, you know, and it's not taboo and it's not scary. Um, so we chose to do that as parents. And Kelly um, and I have both been very big in our community outreach for drug awareness, and this kind of ties into mental illness and mental health as well. And you have to have those hard conversations with your children. And I think one of the things is parents, all good parents do it, and it doesn't mean that they're bad parents. Sometimes you just assume that everything is okay. Or you just assume there's no way my kid could be doing that or be feeling that way. And you don't know unless you have those honest, hard conversations. And that's the key. You have to have an open dialogue. You have to have communication. Uh, we make it a point uh, at least once a week that we get together as a family. We have a, you want to call it like a family council. And we talk about what's going on this week. How are you feeling? Uh, and we try to, to talk about some type of spiritual thing as well to help them deal with something to help them throughout the week. Like last night, we actually had our family council. We talked about how important it is to provide service for other people because other people are struggling and, and we're doing okay. But one of the things that we can give back to the community is to serve others. And, and as you serve other people, you really are serving yourself. And so we try to implement that in our family. And the key is just to have those conversations. You know, it's, it's funny when you talk about drug education, you think about on average, on a national average, the amount of time that actually families spend with their children. And we ask that question to people and they're like, ah, an hour, two hours. Interesting enough, it's only around 10 minutes on average that families spend with their children. And what goes on during those 10 minutes? Like, how, how, was, how was your day? I oh, was good. Uh, did you eat? Uh, I'm, already, I'm already full. Did you do your homework? Oh, it's done. And that's it. And then they get right back in their rooms on their phone with their friends and and so, you know, this, this whole cliche stuff of the family that eats together, the family that plays together, the family that does, you know, activities or sports together, really do stay together. And it's those moments where you can have those conversations. And so do just something simple where you just make sure that you sit down at dinner together to talk, to joke, uh, whatever it is, as long as you spend quality time with each other. And, and that's where you can have those conversations. I think that's so important and you can never take away the severity of what's been happening with the pandemic but on the flip side I think it has also made people have these conversations they've had to sit down and really have them so it's great to hear that because I think what you said there is that 10 minutes it literally is you even notice and I suppose like you can't cast a stone on somebody else because I think at times we've all been there. From from your perspective, um, in the medical field, what are the signs 
that you can watch out for any differences with your kids. Kelly, I'll say, as you saw in your son, and then Darren, that you know within your profession. For me, I noticed with both my son and my daughter that they were sleeping at an extra amount of time that they didn't used to, didn't want to get out of bed. Um, my son's mood swings were really evident. He would be totally fine and happy one second, and then the next second he was snapping at me or snapping at his sister clue in on were maybe conversations that were being had between their friends or things like that that I didn't... I should have maybe paid more attention to, but they were they were really struggling at the beginning time. I think they just didn't quite understand because you had a, a healthy population, you have a healthy individual take everything away from me. They didn't understand that. That um, they send, they tended to spend more time in the room. Those are obviously a lot more obvious when you start to talk to people when those people are so and it's very difficult. And I think relationships that you have, you need to be aware about the individuals in your family. And when you notice something different, you have to really key into that. I think we were really lucky because in our area, we unfortunately had a school shooting. Uh, and so I think that made a lot of us aware that we need to be more involved in our children to, to make sure that they're okay. And so I think that started early conversations to open up and establish good communication lines. And so, uh, I think for, for us with the pandemic, it was a natural uh, progression to help them understand what was going on and what they can do and give them the tools necessary to help them survive. Um, and I think that's just as, as important as a parent, as a friend, as a family member, just be very aware. And, and, and sometimes these uh, signs are very obvious and some are very subtle. And if you see any change in their, their character, any change in their behavior, if you notice that they've uh, become more dependent on substances, um, I mean, obviously those are red flags and um, don't be afraid to have a conversation. Even if you're turned down once mm-hmm. or twice, um, you know, you're doing it out of love and, um, and out, of, out of concern. Assessing towards the campaign, what have you learned throughout your life and what does being imperfectly perfect ultimately being to you? Um, I think you have to first recognize that no one is perfect and with social media that is hard so being a mom I've had to point that out to my kids um, that there's a false sense of what's cool what is beautiful out there and I learned from my oldest just this week that she I did not know I, I thought she was the most confident teenager I ever met but that she struggled with self image and body image and I was blown away by that because she put on such a front that she didn't. Um, so even when you think that they're not struggling, they are struggling in it. And a lot of it is societal. A lot of it is what they see, what they go through. Um, so I just, we try to impress upon our kids that nobody's perfect. And even Kim Kardashian is not perfect. And even though she's pretty darn close in my opinion, but she, she has her issues, right? And everybody does. And it's just on different levels. And that you're, you're created the way you are to bring something to this world that's unique. Um, I, I know I take, sometimes I feel guilty because my kids didn't necessarily take after me in terms of my genes where it's harder for them to stay slim, to lose weight. And so I feel guilty about that. That's like a mom guilt. But all I can do is just love them and tell them that they're beautiful, they're perfect. I would give anything to have my daughter's butt, you know, and all these things to make them try to feel a little better about themselves. And it's just being real, you know, being real about it. I don't know how you can follow that up, but uh, <laughs> you basically said everything that I believe in too is 
is that we're not perfect and we have our own issues. And, you know, it's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. I think as parents, we like our helicopters, we swoop in and I mean, our kid falls down and cries and we, we grab them up, we pick them up, we love them. And we, don't, we don't want them to cry, but you know what? It's okay to cry. So it's okay for them to, to struggle. It's okay for them to cry. It's okay for them to feel pain. It's okay for them to be mad. And it's obviously uh, really good for them to be, feel loved, to feel happy, to feel like they have uh, security and, and they can turn to the parents when they know they have, when they need help or they, they need, um, you know, some type of uh, assistance to help them get through whatever. And, and that's the key. And, and, and the whole title of, of your program, Imperfectly Perfect, is exactly that. None of us are perfect, yet in our own perfect way, we are. I just finish off and say if there's anything that you could give your personal advice on for anybody listening up to our parents what what would you say to anybody again in australia we're going into an extension of another four weeks so i suppose you guys have come out of it we're going back in again and just and wrapping it up just know that there's always somebody that they can talk to and and express what they're feeling always and to find that i'm just grateful that we had this opportunity to come in and, and just to do our part that's kind of what we talked last night to our kids, that there's a way, there's got to be something out there where you can uh, be involved somehow or another. And uh, as long as we can try to be involved in that process and maybe help somebody out there. And that's the key. You don't need to save a, a planet. But you can, if you can just save one person and make a difference in somebody's life, that's so important. So if anybody out there is struggling, it's okay. And I guarantee there's probably someone there waiting to help you. You just have to make that step forward. And for those of us that are on the outside looking in as well, and we see someone struggling, make sure that we make that effort to take that step to help them as well. Sometimes we let fear uh, inhibit our ability to be able to help people instead of just making that step and, or saying that whatever it takes to help that person, uh, try to overcome those hesitancies, whatever those boundaries are, break them down and have those honest, hard conversations and make sure that we're there for people. Because I can guarantee you, no matter who you are, no matter who you think uh, the other person is, we all struggle. And uh, it's it's been very challenging. It's been very difficult. Uh, And I hope that a lot of us will just have some common sense and uh, stick together. This whole journey of me doing this and getting to speak to people like yourself, every single profession, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, it affects us all. And, and, and that's the thing with the emotions. So um, I just want to say on behalf of the campaign, on behalf of me, on behalf of our audience, thank you guys. I very much appreciate it. I will put all the links up to where people can reach out and find more information about you both. But until next time, guys, I just want you to remember, like Darren just said there, keep having the hard conversations because it is the hard conversations that save lives.